Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. All right. Good morning, South Hills. How are you guys doing? Well, my name is Nate. I'm the family pastor around here. Wait, but but first, but first, coffee. Okay, wait, wait. But seriously, like, where are my but first coffee, like, coffee people? Like, the first thing in the morning, you're like, I can't do anything <laughs> until I get that first. Where are, where are you? Where are you? Let me see. You got, you got coffee right there. Where are my people that you're like, coffee or tea, you're just like, I don't need it. Like, you just, you just don't need it at all. I don't understand you. Like, my wife is one of them, and I was just like, I just, I just don't get it. I'm like, no, 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 like, but first, coffee. Like, that's the thing that, that I need in the morning, and maybe I shouldn't be so dependent on it in the morning, but um, we are in this series called Blessed. Uh, it's a little bit about money, but really actually not. Um, it's talking really about how do we live a best life? What does that look like? And today, I get to explore the idea around, like, does order matter? Um, like, how much does order matter when it comes to some of these things? And I labeled today's message chaos, order, and extra bolts. Um, <laughs> extra bolts because how many of you guys have ever put together like an Ikea like furniture piece and then there's like extra bolts at the end and you, you have that question in your head, you're just like, did I miss something? I just don't know, like, like maybe this happened, I don't, I, I don't think there should be these extra bolts here, like, and it's maybe too many, it's not just like the one or two, you're just like, ah, uh, like, um, well, I remember uh, Levi, he was growing up, like, we got him one of those, like, toddler beds that extends, like, um, like it was like, it had these little sectional pieces of uh, mattress that you can add into it, and, and eventually, like, he grew out of that, though, like, because he, he got past the couple different stages that we could do, and we got him, like, a big boy bed, like, it had the desk underneath it, a bunk bed, kind of a thing. It was just like, we went to Ikea, like searched for a little while, like went around everything. And like, we're like, okay, which one do you want, buddy? Like, okay, let's get this one. And so we get it home, we pull it up and like, I start putting the thing together. And it's like this metal thing with like a a ladder on the side and the desk has to be put together in a certain way. And I'm following all the instructions. And inevitably, you know what I'm about to say, (laughs) like, right? Like inevitably, like I get to this part where I'm, I'm trying to attach the ladder. I'm like, there's no holes like there. Like, wait, wait, like I had put the whole thing together. I had a standing bed and I need the ladder to get my son up on the top. And I'm like, there's not the holes. And I look around and I'm like, oh, they were like on the backside flipped. I had had like one piece, one piece. I had flipped around in the wrong way. And I was just like, dang it. And like, it was like put together in a way that you can't just like take one thing out and slide it around and turn around. I was like, I have to disassemble the whole thing. I was just like, this is not cool. Like, so when, when it, uh, Adam gave me this question, it was like, how much does the order you do things in matter? I'm like, quite, quite a lot with, with certain things, like certain things, like the order matters quite a lot. And other things, maybe it doesn't as much, but like, um, I wonder if maybe some, some of the things that happen in our life, the, the, you know, the disorientation, the anxiety that you start to feel when you come up against certain things in your life, if it might have to do with how that thing is disordered. Because I think that sometimes doing things out of order causes a lot of confusion and disorientation. And because of the opposite of the order is chaos, which stirs up anxiety in us. I mean, with that little moment when I like realized that things were out of order with the bed, there was this moment of just like, wait, no, 
like I was disoriented. I was just like, this is not what's supposed to be. And then there was the moment of like frustration and anxiety. I was just like, how much work am I going to have to go through to get this right? Like what's going on? But oftentimes there are these things that come up in our lives that we're anxious about, like we're frustrated about, we're disoriented about. And the idea of bringing order to chaos produces peace. I don't know if it was God ordains or whatever, but this last week I spent a whole bunch of time trying to put my house in order. Like there was just a number of things that around the house and the garage that just like unfinished tasks, other things that like throughout the course of my life, like I had prioritized other things, but then like husbands, you know, like that list gets long, like that honeydew list and like you just can't ignore it for too much longer. Like you've prior to, you put a different order of other things and at one point you realize, okay, in order to have a happy wife and a happy life, like, I got to do some things, like, and reorder, reorder my life. And, and so I did that. And, like, there was, like, this moment, like, when I started to unpack the garage or the car and a couple other things, I'm just like, oh, dang it. Like, this is, like, there's a lot here, like, to unpack and do. And, like, but piece by piece by piece, like, yesterday afternoon, I was just, like, I looked at my garage and I looked at the car. And I'm like, that felt good. Like, that, that feels nice. Like, have you ever had that moment where you, you, you had something you were ignoring for a while and you know you shouldn't, but you did, and then you finally get around to it and you get it organized, you get it cleaned, you, you put some order to it, and then all of a sudden you have this sense of just like, oh, that, that felt good. Like, a little bit of peace entered your life because of going through that experience. Like, and I think that there's something about that, that bringing order to chaos does produce peace, and that's who God is. Like, you see it throughout all of Scripture. God is a God of bringing order to chaos. Like he does it in the creation story and uh, taking all of the, the, the water and the chaos that, that was before and then be speaking life into it. And then eventually you have this peaceful garden. In the Gospels, Jesus speaks out to a storm and says, peace, be still. And this raging storm just comes quiet. And the disciples have this sense of peace and that they're with their master and somebody that had control and power. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And I think there's some intuition to all of this, right? Like when things happen in a right order, we feel calm. When things are done out of order, we don't. All of these things should maybe clue us under this principle that if an area of our life lacks peace, it's likely an aspect of it is out of order. Have you ever thought about that? Like, think of maybe something comes to mind right now. Is there something in your life that maybe feels a little like you're a little anxious about? There's something that, that feels a little bit out of order that you don't have peace with. Maybe, just maybe, there's some part of that that is out of order and misaligned. And here's why I bring this up here, is that a lot of us feel a whole lot of tension and anxiety and chaos around the subject of money. It, it, could it be that our approach to it is out of order? Now I get, like, this is kind of a tense subject, right? Like, it's kind of hard. Like, and we, we as a church, like, spend a lot of time praying and thinking about this. It's like, it does bring up a lot of anxiety, anxious feelings, talking about money and how do we deal with it. And, like, some people can come at you condescending and judging, and others might just not even talk about it at all. And But I know for me in my life and with my wife, like, Money and when it when it's gone well and we are having good healthy conversations about it, like so much else goes well in my life. But then other times when things are misordered and we're busy and chaotic and then things are tight and we're not sure what to do about this bill and that bill, like it does produce a lot of things in us that don't end up leading to things that I would call good. And so we want to talk about it. 
And I wonder, even though we hate the thought of it and it's difficult to really wrap our head around what to do and how to go about doing it, could financial peace be waiting for us on the other side of reordering our money? Could financial peace be waiting for us on the other side of reordering our money? So what's the created order of the way resources are meant to be used? Well, at the very beginning of the creation story, we get this one little story that starts with, you know, Adam and Eve, they're, they're created, and then they start having kids. Um, and we read here, if you want to follow along, I'm going to be mostly in Genesis chapter 4, that you can follow along with me. But Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, we read, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have obtained a male child with the help of the Lord. There's something about even just the languaging here, right? Um, they, they have a kid, and the very first thing that Eve says is, I have obtained a male child with the help of the Lord. Her mindset, the thing that comes to her mind first, the thing, first like written thing that we have from Eve is that she's giving thanks to God. She's, she's saying, God, thank you for this son. Like, thank you that I have this. Like, she's giving thanks to him. It's not just, she, she's not just saying like, hey, Adam and Eve, like, we just did this thing. Like, we're all good. Like, this is amazing. Like, look at this beautiful child that we made. Like, the first thing that she says is like, thank you, God. And I think many of us that are parents, we do this, right? We're like, thank you, God, for my kid. I'm, I'm so blessed to have him or, or her in, in our lives. And then we then read in verse uh, 2, and again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And here's the real piece of the story that I want to zoom in on. Now, Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a cultivator of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part also, brought an offering from the firstborn of his flock and from their fat portions. And then we see this little piece about how God interacts with what they brought and gave. And the Lord had regard for Abel for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Abel brought this like, like fatty, basically barbecue. <laughs> and, then, and then Cain brings vegetables. And like, I don't think this is about God like loving barbecue like over vegetables. Although like I would agree that like that's like the order of things. Like I'll do the vegetables, but really just bring me the meat. Uh, that's what I want. Like I don't think that's really what God, like what God is trying to communicate through, through this story. Um, just that. Um, but there is a worldview that I believe is handed down from Adam and Eve to their kids. And um, there's something about uh, this that I think we can learn and glean something new from. You see, Abel gave God his best and his first. Cain gave God his leftovers when he got around to it. Do you see those phrases that were in the verse? I want to throw that up there in verse two. Uh, you know, you see in the course of time. Well, that means like when I get around to it. Some means, well, leftovers. Uh, that phrasing right there, uh, the other way that you would kind of understand it in the Hebrew is like the end of days or at the end of the harvest. So it means like after you've finished all the stuff at the, like the end of the season, the end of like that, that season of, uh, of harvesting all the, all the grain and everything together, like that's when he maybe gave some of what he had. But then what did Abel do? Abel gave a firstling, which means first, fat portions, which means best. I mean, like, who doesn't love a ribeye? Like, that is, like, way better. Like, I, in my, well, in my view, like, a ribeye is way better than, than filet mignon. Like, I just, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Like, but, but especially back then, like, fat portions, that's what that means. Like, it is bringing your best. 
See, we like the idea of putting God first, but our practice is often to put ourselves first. There's something about, I think, the order in which Cain and Abel did what they did that God then looked at it with regard, looked at it with like, I'm pleased, like, wait, thank you. And what's interesting is this whole story is written before there's rules. It's like there's nothing written about that you're supposed to do a certain thing, but something in them just felt like I'm given this thing by God. I understand that this thing that I have is from God. The, 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 the flocks that I have, the shepherd, like uh, the, the vegetables and the, the harvest that I have, it's like there's something about it that I believe that they are responding just like their mom of just saying like, God, thank you. And I'm going to give back part of it. I'm going I'm to dedicate a piece of this to you. And, and I think that they were handed this worldview. And Cain, though, like took it and did a little bit different thing with it. When it comes to money, there's really three things or like five things that we can do with it. We can spend it, repay debt, pay taxes, save it, and give it. Like that's the different things that we can end up doing, right? Um, and there's an order to it. I don't know what comes to your mind when you get a paycheck or if you're thinking about a given year of what you do. I mean, I definitely want taxes to be like way down on the back ends. Um, I'd really, I really like the spending part of it. Like that's really, really great. Like when I can go to Disney or go on a vacation, just be able to spend, do whatever I want. Um, did that one time and it was awesome. And then I got back and I'm like, okay, now I got to like pay off this debt that I had like on the credit card that I like spent all this stuff on uh, doing. There's inevitable like way that life is ordered. Like you can't just spend all you want and do all you want like without then having the consequences of having to repay that debt or having the money or working to get the money. Like there's an order to things, right? There's a way that life goes. And I think we all know this, that this is what you do with money. You spend it, you repay debt, you pay taxes, you save it, and you can give it. And the order of which I think does speak a lot about what we value. If you're not a person of faith, like, then maybe you don't necessarily emphasize giving. But actually, like, nonprofit giving outside of the Christian faith is a thing, too. Like, like a lot of people understand the idea of, like, I have something and I want to give it to some cause or something that I value to make a difference. Like, all of Crest, like, a nonprofit, people giving up their time and money to invest in, in foster kids. And, like, because they realize, like, without that money and that funding, like, those things don't end up happening. And so I think there's something innate in a lot of us that's like, I want to do that, but how much do we do that? And in what order do we end up doing that? I want to say something that as I wrote it and read it, I have to be honest, like I'm saying this to myself. And I want to say it as a pastor that loves you and cares for you. If you call yourself a Christian, don't pretend you put God first if giving is last. And I know that most of you don't give. And I know that, like, there's a couple different ways. There's this thing called the Pareto Principle. It's this 20-80 rule. Um, usually, out of anything, a business or whatever, 20% of the people or the business make 80% of the profit. Or in a church, often, 20% of the people usually are the ones that make up 80% of the giving. Or of, like, the 100%, like, 20% give. And I've actually done this and studied it, and it's this weird thing that, like... Knowing names and who gives what get, like, can mess somebody up and mess a pastor up. So what I've done and I've learned from others is there's this practice of being able to, to look at the giving but remove the names and just put a number there. Because like, I don't want to get like, mixed into the, like, who gives what and that because that just gets nasty. It's not helpful. 
And I've been a part of a couple churches that have looked at that, and usually it's about 20% of the people that attend that actually give. And then out of the people that give, usually it's 20% of those that all give that actually make up the majority of the giving. So it's really like a very small few. And even the few, which I think is really cool, um, it's actually not like the big givers that make up the majority of the, the giving. Uh, that's like a part of it, but it's actually people that just are giving like 200 to two, uh, two, 200 to two thousand dollars, um, like within a year, like or consistently. Like it's the number of people that are giving like in that range of like 200 a month or so, like um, uh, up to like a thousand a month, like depending on the range and like if a, if an area is more affluent or not, whatever. So, but it, it's actually more about those that are consistently, faithfully giving just a percentage. Not so much like you have one or two big givers that are making up all of it. It's actually that core of the givers that do that. And like looking at it without the names to be able to just kind of understand it. Like, so I know that the majority of you in this room probably don't give. And I want to ask you to just think about this idea of that if you say you put God first and you don't give, be careful that you call yourself a Christian. And I want to guide you to think about this and honestly be willing to analyze your heart. And, and I continually have to do this myself. So again, like I am, I, I have been struggling with this message myself. <laughs> and what do I do and how do I go about this just as much as I'm saying these words in front of you? Because I do read things like from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where in Matthew 6, 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, when you give the first and the best of your resources, what you're really doing is giving the first and the best of your heart. And I know there's been seasons in my life where I'm giving on a consistent basis, and the thing that comes to my mind is, God, thank you. God, thank you for what you've done, and I want to give this intentionally and purposefully to you. And then there's other seasons that I might not, like, it might be the same amount of money, but I'm not even thinking about it at all. And I recognize there's something about intentionally, mindfully giving with my heart, my attitude towards something that makes a huge difference. What if the law of God and these different things that we talk about, like, is not so much a list of constraining rules, but enabling principles. Have you ever thought about that? Like, oftentimes, like, these rules are the, the things that make up, like, oh, I'm supposed to do this thing as a Christian. I, I should do this thing as a Christian. What if it's not so much a, a list of constraining rules, but enabling principles? Well, the way I like to think about it is uh, soccer. I loved soccer growing up. I played in high school, and I ended up being able to play in college. And, like, there's a list of rules, of boundary lines of what soccer is made up of and, like, how you play the game a certain length of time and how many players on the field. Like, there's a list of rules, right? Um, but, like, think of, like, if, if the goal of soccer was to win, if that was the only, the only ranking, well, then, like, I could go play with a bunch of four-year-olds and win. Like, for sure. Like, that would be, like... Well, not really actually that fun. Like, I mean, like, I could, I could definitely, like, kick, kick and score, like, all, all day long. Like, if the main goal was to just win, then couldn't I rearrange the list of the rules in order to make myself win and do that? Like, but it's not just about that. Like, it, there's actually some other things that are going on around the rules to try to make them fair, to try to put, like, like-minded people that are in the same category together against each other and do certain constraints on them 
kind of, um, in a way, though, that enables something else to happen. Like the period of time that you might play from time to time or like, um, like the overtime and other kinds of things that you might do and other rules that sometimes even people talk about those things because sometimes they might seem like they're unfair to one side or the other. And having a, a consistent list of, of rules actually enables something else to happen. And when you, when you go to the World Cup or you get to go to the World, watch the World Series or whatnot, like there's this other thing that gets enabled in us watching it and them playing it that I think goes beyond just winning, beyond just like, oh, I won that game. Like it's the pursuit of getting better and making yourself better and enjoying this thing called, ultimately, I'll pull it back, life. And I wonder if the things that God laid out in the Old Testament and the New Testament and through Jesus are more about enabling us to live a full life, a blessed life. If we order ourselves around those things, but if we just choose to ignore them, we are the ones that lose out. You see, I don't think like God needs you to give. God does not need you to give. You need you to give. There's something about how you order your life around finances and, uh, and everything else, because really this idea of order plays into many other things in our lives too, right? But with finances, with giving, I think that the way that in which you do that has something that benefits you if you put it in the right order. Tithing is what it's called. Um, it's from the Old Testament. Uh, tithe is the Hebrew word, which just means tenth. Um, it just means uh, the, a tenth of, of what you get, you then give back. And tithing, it's not a spiritual tax, it's not a church tax. It's not just to keep the lights on. It's not about keeping God off your back and ensuring bad things won't happen. But the problem is, with all these ideas, is that, well, it actually in some measure is those things. Like, it is about keeping the lights on. It is maybe kind of keeping God off your back, but not really maybe in the way that we think. Like, it's not just about, like, a tax. Like, that's not what it is. Like, there is a percentage, I get it, like, that, that they lay right in the Old Testament. But it is an Old Testament thing. It was actually tithing was set up by God as a part of what he did to address the Israel people. They were coming out of slavery. They were coming out of like somebody else was in charge and ruling them and, uh, in Egypt and, and God freed them. Like God is a God that cares for the oppressed, cares for those that are stuck and, and are overtaxed and, and overworked. And he cares to bring freedom and justice to those people. And he did that through Israel. And he defeated the Pharaoh and brought them out. And, and he sets up them with a new nation. And he's like, and he gives them a list of rules. He gives them the top 10, the big 10. And I think like murder, we can all agree like murder, like let's, let's not do that. Can, can we all agree? Like, let, let's not do that, right? Um, and, and a number of other ones, like honoring our parents, like in healthy families, that's a good thing. Like when kids honor their parents. And there's other things that like in the top 10 and others that they just make sense. It's like, you, you shouldn't do those things. And then he goes, after the 10, he gives a, a number of other ones. Now, the Israelites, like, years later, then they add, like, 600 more. But God does give a few other, like, ordinances. And inside of those, after the big 10, is tithing. In Exodus 23, 19, it says, You shall bring the choice fruit, first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. In Leviticus, it references the, uh, the tithe as well. In Malachi 3.10, a prophet referencing the tithe it says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be good food, or there may be food in my house and put me to the test now in this, says the Lord of armies. If I do not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. 
Like this is the way that God wanted to set up a society in a different way than anything else has been known on earth. And so he gives them a set of things to live by. And I wonder if those things are more about trying to help us live a full life than they are just by like trying to push us down and be just another oppressor. But maybe the problem is that we have not learned to make it a practice as a part of our life to order our lives in that way that giving and giving our first, our best is first. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. Like some people, like I've even like watched some other pastors give explanations for tithing, how Christians, those that follow Jesus, don't have to tithe. And in some sense, I would agree, like, yeah, like we don't live underneath the Old Covenant of the Old Testament. We live under the New Covenant that Jesus set forth. But if you look at Jesus and you look at the ways in which he taught, he would regularly elevate and amplify and intensify the things in the Old Testament. Like he's like, he would regularly say things like you've heard it said, and he would reference something in the Old Testament. And then he would, out of his authority, say something new. It's like, hey, you've heard it said, don't murder. Well, I like, don't be angry. Wait, wait, what? (laughs) You're elevating the idea of having anger and frustration in your heart to the level of murder? Like, what are you doing, Jesus? Hold on. The rich young ruler, there was this guy that came to him and he's like, hey, Jesus, I've done everything. Like all all of the Old Testament, all of those laws and ordinances, I do it all. I give it 10%. I do all that kind of stuff. Like what do I I need to do now to live a blessed life? Like how, how, what do I need to, to gain access to the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus was like, looked at him and said, you've got to sell everything all of it, and then give it to the poor, like, and, and, and then you'll be happy. Like, that's what's going to make, make you entrance in the kingdom, and that's how you're going to be blessed. All of it. Wait, what? What? In Acts, when the first early church after Jesus passed um, and rose again, we see this beautiful example of what the church, I think, is meant to be and lived out from those that were, were right there with Jesus at the very beginning. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, And all the believers were together and had all things in common, and they would sell their property and possessions and share them with all to the extent that anyone had need. So for those in the family of God, those that were like following Jesus and trying to do this, like they would take care of each other. They would band together and do whatever they needed to for, the, for themselves with each other. And if that meant selling something, they would. Because everything that they had, they understood was to God. God is the provider. God is the one that is going to free the slave. God is the one that is going to help us um, bring justice into this thing. And, and if we don't put him first, if we don't give him our best, like it, none of it's worth it. And as somebody that follows Jesus, putting God as a first matters a lot. And maybe if there's some amount of anxiety in your life, I want you to think like maybe there's something about the order in which you've placed things maybe needs to be rearranged. Maybe there's something about what you're doing, how you're doing it, that needs to be reordered. And bring some order into that chaos. And think and pray about what it is that God might lead you to do. Because I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do. I want to bring up a principle that I believe Jesus is very clear on, and it's laid out even in the Old Testament, of something that matters to him. And I don't know exactly why it's a tenth. I I, I don't know why 10% is 10% other than I have a feeling it has something to do with it's just enough that puts it in the realm of trust. Because anything less than that, maybe I still am working in my own strength. And it doesn't really matter. Like If God is the God 
that is above all things, if God is the creator God, like if he's the one that loves us and cares for us, if he's the one that ordered life and wants the best for us, if that's true, and he's saying 10th is the beginning, and then generosity with all is, is, is to grow into. If he's say, setting that as the order, we just have to decide, do we trust him? Do we trust him to say, show me? It's hard. I get it. But do you trust him? Is he your foundation? And if he is, then I want to encourage you to think about what you might do this week to start to rearrange some things. What do you need to rearrange to regularly prioritize percentage giving with every paycheck? What do you need to rearrange to regularly prioritize percentage giving with every paycheck? Abel gave God his best, his first. Cain gave God his leftovers when he got around to it. There's another part of the story that some of you know where after Cain and Abel gave their gifts and God looked at them and he's like, Abel, great, this is great. Cain, eh, not so, so much. You just gave me the leftovers. Like, what's up with that? Where it says that Cain became very angry and his face was gloomy. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face gloomy? If you do well, will, you face, will your face not be cheerful? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. When we refuse to acknowledge God as first in one area of our life, it bleeds into others. I think the practice of tithing and giving is like, because it has to do with how we provide for ourselves and our families, it's so integral into how we do life. It's such a bedrock, foundational piece to how we then can show with our actions that God is first, that allows us to then order everything else in our lives. Our marriages, our parenting, our faith, our patience, anxiety, any other aspect of our lives because without it, without putting God first and being grateful and, and sin is lurking. Other things that would tear you down is lurking right there. And Cain gave in. He did not give God his best or his first. And he became angry and upset and something that I never want to see in my son was just like, doesn't care about all the things that he has and just wants more and different. And I'm like, no, Levi, like, be thankful, be grateful for what you have. Like, you, you have way more than what others have. And, but yet, when that seed starts to seep into our hearts, sin is lurking there, and it bleeds into other areas of our life. And Cain, he went and talked to his brother Abel. He's like, Abel, come over here. And it happened that when they were there in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? I think in the way in which sin manifests itself in our lives is chaos. 
those, those things that we're anxious about. It's, it's not necessarily murder, but it is some aspect of not ordering our lives around God being first. Because there's, there's this peace, this blessing that God wants to give us. He, 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 he doesn't want to keep it from us. He, he wants to come after us and love us and, and care for us. And, and he'll, he'll, he died on a cross for us. God gave his first and best for us. First, like we didn't do something to deserve it, to come out and say, hey, I did this, God. Would you do this for me? No, no, God came first to us and said, I love you so much that I want to I wanna make this right. There's things that are unjust. There's things that are not right in your life and around this world, and I'm going to make it right. And it's going to be slow, and it might be painful. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to, like, join me in this process. But, but I'm going to go first, and I'm going to give. And he wants to, and he ordered life in a way in which it's meant to be about putting him first. And our finances are a part of that. And if we call ourselves Christians, let's not pretend that we do that if we aren't then ordering our finances around that. I want to pray for us that, that we would be able to figure out how to step forward because it's still hard. You still have to make decisions and how do you pay the bills? How do you do the things that you need to do? And I get it. I want to invite you to go to him, go to God and pray and unwork some of the things in your own heart that maybe you've put above God. And, and start to maybe step by step, week to week, put him first. So let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for what you did through Jesus to give us an example of how to live a better life, a full life, a blessed life. Help us to realize where we have misordered our own lives and maybe even in our finances. To really not truly put you first and to give you our best. May we not just come to you with our leftovers and some, but with our whole heart. May we make you our firm foundation, God. I believe it's available to all of us, no matter our finances. God, because you promise it. You, 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 you speak of this overwhelming, overflowing blessing that we get to experience, not so much in exactly more money, but in connection with you that allows us to do so much more with you than we could away from you. And so God, we put you first. We praise your holy name, God. May you guide us, make us whole because there are things that are real and tangible that are difficult and dark and anxious. And God, may you remove those. Remove the sin. Remove those things that tear us down, God. We need you. We need you. Be with us as a people, as a church to do more with you than we can without. We thank you. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, Help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.